Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin, your host. If this is your first time listening, thank you first and foremost for making a choice today. And if you're curious about what that choice is, then it might make sense for me to give a little background about why this whole community was started. And um, if you've made it this far and if you're listening right now, it means that something piqued your interest, whether it be our description, whether it be a friend telling you about this, whether it be you're just randomly scrolling through design or art podcasts and things like that. And what you're searching for may not be something that has to do with how to do something. You know, if you're here, if you've arrived thus far, then you probably aren't looking for a way to get 20% more on your salary of a job that you already don't like, or you're not looking to shift careers or, you know, make 50 extra dollars a day. Like you're not necessarily looking for those things. Instead, you're looking for something deeper underneath the surface. I don't want to go as far to call it a purpose, but I'll go just call it a spark of sorts. You know, if you're here, then it means that you're an artist deep within, whether you're practicing professionally and you're making money and you're having gallerists ask for your work and request you to come speak, or if you're just getting started and you're a weekend craftsperson, there's an artist or designer in you and you're wanting to know how to perhaps move from a hobbyist to someone who doesn't have to introduce yourself all the time as being good at five, six, seven different things. You know, two and a half years ago and 180 plus hours of lectures and lessons ago, we started with the same feeling that we wanted to know how our favorite artists and designers sort of practice the way that they do. So what we did is that we found a curriculum that worked for us, an art school of sorts that you couldn't find anywhere else based in a tradition of being multidisciplinary or multidisciplinary practice. And we've had a great deal of success. And even though I've outlasted the intro here, I hope that I've connected with you in an interesting way that gets you to stick around for a little bit longer. Um, So if any of this seems interesting to you, certainly you can tell that this is recorded live each time. And I haven't necessarily made the shift to pre-record the intros or anything like that because I want to make a new connection each time. But if this sounds like something you're interested in before we get into our episode today, then you can go to educated-guest.com, subscribe to our newsletter. We don't bombard you with a bunch of emails, mainly because I personally and no one I know personally likes to deal with email um, that much anyway. So only value and value is needed. Let's get into the topic today. Um, One that has a particularly impactful um, context when you're talking about starting a studio. So most people who listen to uh, this show are interested in starting their practice or perhaps getting a dream job or assessing a, a company that they might be interested in, whether it's a good fit for them, or maybe they're looking to launch a product of their own or a a collection of their own or looking to get into a gallery and they're trying to figure out a decent way to live. You know, if any of those are sort of your circumstance, then chances are very high that you're looking for an understanding of the world. You're looking for a way to sort of take your contrarian tendencies and 
formulaic or and, and, and add and codify them, if you will, and add some structure to them. I mean, you're a contrarian, you're you're a grunge artist in the modern sense. You are um, postmodernist, if you will, in some sorts, where you want you don't necessarily agree with uh, the normal flow of the river, and you want to swim upstream, but you also understand that you need some jets in your boat in order to continue upstream. Um, because you're going to face a lot of questions the longer you continue to work along this path. And you recognize the need for some order in the world, but you just don't like the order that's been presented to you. So what we're talking about today is perhaps some inspiration to start off with and then a little bit of practice to end with. This isn't going to be a typical one, two, three, four, five order of operations um, kit of parts sort of approach to developing your own code of conduct, because I think it should be revealed to you, not presented to you, or it should be revealed from within, not presented from without. Uh, so I really think that some of the inspirational moments that hopefully we offer over the next 15 minutes or so will give you some guideposts or perhaps provide a map to find and figure out how to operate and how to move when you are in a room of vultures, so to speak, or how to move in certain circumstances that don't necessarily present themselves as being familiar familiar to you. So I just want to start with some examples of people or entities that have a code of conduct or a uh, set of principles or a set of rules that invite a lot of, um, or serve as a good launch pad. The first of which I think I uh, presented this before many a times, but this is a, a, a non-religious show. We don't offer religious um, guidance or anything like that. We're not, uh, we're actually particularly prone to invite questions about all religions and per perhaps uh, encourage people to explore them all and find which one resonates most with them. Um, but that said, I, I can't ignore the fact that I personally am a Christian and um, I do I do like to look at the Ten Commandments as a good starting point. Certainly, um, the motifs of the Ten Commandments are perhaps more important than the, the diction of them, the way that they were written, because uh, we have to understand that a lot of these things at that point in time were just irrelevant to the time. I mean, we're extremely relevant to the times and perhaps in need of some updating um, thousands of years later. So when we start thinking about the Ten Commandments, it asks questions about, okay, well, who else other than these people who wrote the Bible and that, you know, sort of have continually, continuously translated the Bible, who else uh presents a decent way of living. And I'm always intrigued by, uh, these are in no particular order of importance. I first, I have to first say that because I might get a lot of messages that say, oh, well, how could you go from the Bible to whoever you're about to talk about next? Or how could you go from this to that? How could you forget about this? This is a non-comprehensive list. And this is not a, um, again, a guru coming to you. I'm not attempting to be your guru because I think that gurus inherently um, still invite one to become a ch to exist in a childlike state. 
to to defer all responsibility to someone else and to the guidance of another mortal being. Um, So anyway, a decent person to look at in this realm is Benjamin Franklin's 13 Virtues, I think, are interesting. Uh, Ray Dalio, Prince, I'm just going to read off a bunch of inspirational jump off points that I've read or have uh, come across as interesting points. So I've personally read um, Ray Dalio's Principles, very interesting book, very long book, but uh, I think his is one that is particularly rooted in something that um, he's practiced for a long time, which is uh, transcendental meditation. And I think to read his work and understand the practices and the people who have influenced his work also give you interesting guideposts. Um, Ram Das is one that is interesting. Some He provides at the end of his sort of seminal text and one of his most important texts, at the end, he provides like this list of uh, inspirational books that are incredibly powerful and incredibly, um, I think he actually titles the section of his book, like interesting books to base your life, life off of. And he, he talks about it as starting with like the new Testament, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the, uh, the, the Tao Te Ching, um, the Quran, I believe is in there as well. So, as you can tell, the thematic purpose of this particular lecture, this lesson, is less of one. It's not one of a, um, again, order of operations. It's one of attempting to uh, to turn up the volume on a frequency that's already within you, to lead you in a path that perhaps is already there, but just hasn't been revealed to you yet. So as you continue your practice... It's important to know what you like, what what would be a good case to turn down work? What would be and again, just to bring it back to real life, what would be a good circumstance where you should turn down work? How do you know when to trust your gut? What is your gut even telling you? What is your gut based off on or based off off of? And what are the goals that you're looking to set? And all these different things really, really influence the decisions that you make and the decisions you make ultimately beget the life, the life that you will be living. Um, I truly believe that. Uh, another good book to check out is Seneca on the shortness of life or letters from a stoic um, on the shortness of life. There's in, in there, there's about eight, I believe there's eight ways that he sort of outlines at least eight ways that you waste art, that humans waste time. And I believe there's a quote in there. I'm not going to give it verbatim and I'm not going to look it up off the cuff, but essentially he says that, we're all giving and we're all given enough life. There's enough life to live. The only way that we believe that life is short is that we don't use it correctly. And I believe the other quote that comes from him is that life is life is short, but art is long. Um, something along those lines. I'm not sure if that comes from Seneca or not, but in short, go check out, no pun intended, go check out on the shortness of life or letters from a stoic uh, on that same realm, sort of like uh, the impi- the Roman empire and thinking about who was influential in the Roman empire. I would go check out Marcus Aurelius, the meditations book. Um, there are multiple translations and perhaps multiple different uh, edits on it, but um, just find one that works for you. I mean, you can pretty much find this anywhere. I imagine this is everywhere from the dollar bookstore, people on the side of the road, 
selling books for for a dollar or you can go and buy the brand new hardback edition uh, wherever i mean you think about like the great books there's something to be said about those big collections I, there's a story i mean my grandfather um was the first black chair or president of the board of education in birmingham alabama and this happened in this um mid mid 20th century so you can only imagine the circumstances of birmingham alabama and this is on my mom's side so at the time you think about it and it's like well what was what was he reading just as like an objective i've never met him unfortunately he passed before i was born but when you think about it i just think like what was he reading that made him tick and at my grandmother's house, who I spent a lot of time at growing up, like my parents were working, obviously, like most people, um, we didn't spend two, three thousand dollars a week on childcare. Like my grandmother was my childcare, you know what I mean? So we'd go over there, and there would be these this big wall of books, and I think it's still there. I just haven't like my mom has been back and forth about giving them away or selling them or getting me to sell them and all this other stuff, but. You go and you see this wall of books and she would always refer to them as the great books. And I never knew what she meant. And I would always pull up there and be like, and from the time I was, can, as long as I can remember from, it was the same house. So I would go and I'd be like, man, like, what are these books? It was just like this, this wall of um, knowledge that I never really knew why these books in particular were up there. Or like why you would buy 15 books in a collection. And for most people who are super young, super young being like you were born after the year 2000 or something like that. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what super young means anymore. Five years old. Um, To some people, I'm super young, but it's whatever. Uh, I don't like to think about age as an indicator of wisdom. Um, But when I was there, I remember always playing right underneath this bookshelf and it's probably 50 to a hundred books. I mean, that's a big gap. It's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent difference literally. But the point is in hindsight, I realized that the collection of these books was really an indication or perhaps a, a, an amalgamation of one's pursuit to develop a code of conduct, a way of living. And as I reflect on my grandfather's life and sort of all his accomplishments and all the things that he did, I, I can't help but think about why he decided to at one point purchase all of these books. And in this books, I mean, you, I mean, anybody who's seen the Penguin classics or like the Harvard great books or any of these things, like you recognize that the same books come up. Like you get Plato's, um, Plato's Republic, you get, Marcus Aurelius meditations, you get Seneca, you get these people, these great thinkers that have lasted thousands and thousands of years, these principles. So it's worthwhile to check them out for yourself and be that um, person who swims upstream in this way and reads something different than like the most um, promoted or the uh, the highly promoted self-help book of the year. Um, another one that's a bit of a, an offshoot um, something that's a little bit different that's I really like is IKEA Code of Conduct. I think I call it the I way or the Kia way or something like that. But 
the reason I went here is because I wanted to look for the way that companies like something or an entity that is essentially like a small nation state that is responsible for thousands of tens of thousands of, of employees and wants to continue to make sure that if I, Justin McElderry, were to go work at an Ikea tomorrow that I know on day one what they stand for and what they don't stand for and when I'm stepped out of line because the CEO, the COO, the chief of culture, whatever they call it, they that person, the probably the CHRO is responsible for this is where it rolls up to chief talent officer to whatever you want to call it. They want to ha- make sure that everybody holds the line on what they say is a good way of doing work. Another one is um, the four agreements. If you haven't read the four agreements, that's really good. The better angels of our nature is by Steven Pinker. I mean, that's something that's worth checking out. The letters to a young contrarian by Christopher Hitchens. And lastly, by David Foster Wallace, an incredibly impactful essayist and just overall author. I think most people are familiar with his work, um, This Is Water, and his speech um, to to a graduating class of high schoolers or college graduates. I'm not sure exactly uh, off the top of my head, but essentially it's the age-old story that everybody sort of knows, but not everybody knows the source of. And perhaps there's a source that he was inspired by, I don't know. But essentially the This Is Water um, speech is incredibly impactful. Uh So I would highly encourage you to just start with this list. It doesn't matter where your list comes from or who's on the list. If any of this maybe sparked something for you, I'm sure your Amazon results will give you something that's perhaps more interesting. But what I would do and I would advise as we kind of close here is to just scan this list of books, scan this list of inspiration, find a decent way to organize at least five to seven rules I would highly recommend at least seven rules that you just want to you think are decent rules that you've learned thus far in your life that you would just teach your your child, teach your child. Like it's not even about how do you. If you want to have kids or it's not about if you already have kids, it's not about if you, you know, are really trying to get something done for your employees or anything like that. But just what are some high level rules that you would give to your child that, you know, are unchangeable, that you know stand the test of time. Like, and everybody who has listened to this show before knows that, you know, um, my knowledge of hip hop is extremely important in what I do. And like one saying uh, that is not that is a little bit from uh, has a lot of like mob ties to it, like from. Italian mafia and Irish mafia, like that sort of thing. But also just shows up in hip hop a lot is like word is bond. So when somebody says your word is your bond, what they're essentially saying is like, that's all that you have to live by. Like if nobody, if, and what it's, what I'm leading to is what should your code of conduct consist of? It's the natural question. You're like, okay, Justin, like I get the point. Like there are a lot of interesting examples of people who've created a code of conduct. There's an interesting, there's an interesting use case for a code of conduct, but how do I create mine is the essential question you're looking for. And as you think about how to create yours, 
it's important to sort of base it on some some common set of undeniably good traits. And I'm going to list the seven that I think are undeniably good traits, and you can sort of develop your rules based on this. Number one, I would say, is honesty. We all know this. Everybody knows it's generally good to be honest. Um, most people who are like big fans of like mafia movies, regardless of the real life implications of the mafia, there are a couple of, in my opinion, good traits to remember there. And one of the rules that is frequently that frequently comes up in almost every movie and almost every story and almost every blog post, every writing, every recount of the circumstance or recollection recollection of the circumstance is that if you're if you're lying, it means that you're afraid. And there's nothing to fear but death and sometimes not even that. So. Before saying, hey, be courageous or anything like that, honesty takes care of courage. In most cases. So honesty is number one, I would say. Number two would be integrity, doing what you say you're going to do. Doing everything you say you're going to do. That's the biggest flex you can have. Number three is respect. That gets you out of your own head. It prevents you from being a, nar- a narcissist and understand that you are one with those next to you. You are one with your neighbor. Number four is empathy. This digs a layer deeper than simply respecting the one next to you. It honors the one next to you as you as if it's your own being, it's your own body. Five is patience, I would argue. And patience is, of course, many say patience is a virtue. But I think patience is a fundamental aspect of something I would teach a kid when they don't understand a sense of time. Because you think back to when you're seven years old, an hour seems like a decade. You you go on an hour car ride, that seems like an eternity. Number six is confidence. And number seven is discipline. And I think if you put these seven just generally good codes of conduct and traits into practice, and you're not going to be perfect, but if you understand that as your foundation, then any practice, any artistic circumstance you find yourself in, if you are in negotiation with people, if you're trying to like a lot of a lot of generally advice or general advice is based on like how to set plays and how to like play chess against people in life. But if you just take these seven general traits of undeniably good practice, I think you'll be just fine. So that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for your time, for your patience. And again, you can follow us at educated underscore underscore guests on Instagram. Looks like I've outlasted the outro too. Until next time, peace.